Well, good morning, Wayside family. Um, how's your last week been? Uh, maybe if you're like me, you have felt a little bit off balance. And even this morning, speaking from a virtually empty sanctuary, it just feels odd. I miss your smiling faces. But over the course of this week, our great sound and light individual, John Jurdy, has put up a yellow with black eyes and mouth, smiley face, right at the camera, so I can look at the camera and at least think that one person might be smiling out there. Thanks for doing that. And it's the Forrest Gump, yellow with black. It's, I, I love it. Well, this week, and even in the morning speaking here, I'm, I'm, I'm reminded that when you get nervous or when you feel a little unsettled, um, speech coaches for years have said, envision your audience like they were in their underwear. Now, I don't suggest that's a good thing for the church to do, but at the same time this morning, I envision my audience not in their underwear, but in their pajamas. And maybe that's true for what's going on in your world and in mine. Um, not only have I been unsettled this last, by these last month's events, but one of my favorite sports writers had something to say about his unsettledness with no ability to comment on current active sports. He wrote this, it's Friday yet again. Any plans for this weekend? Yeah, I didn't think so. In any case, I'm excited for a couple of days off because I got to say, it's pretty stressful and tiring to do absolutely nothing all day long. I'm starting to figure out why our pets just sleep all the time and then lose their minds whenever they get the opportunity for even a small sample of some fresh air. I'll probably give this sleeping thing a shot over the weekend, looking forward to seeing what it's all about. Strange times. These are very strange times. As a matter of fact, yesterday I had a strange experience. I, um, we had a flat tire on our car, and I had to go to discount tire. And in order to go to discount tire, I was told that I need to wear this. Now, thank you, Bluecorns, for this wonderful mask. Uh, it's a camo mask. I feel like when I wear it, I'm somewhere between um, a hunter and a robber. I, I just, I, I'm starting to feel pretty good about this mask. But um, that reminded me, I, I'm going to start doing that because earlier this week, I just went in for a couple of things up at HEB. And as I went into HEB, um, I have seasonal allergies. And at times, I sneeze, Right? And I go into HEB, and I'm trying to be on my best behavior, and I'm trying to keep my social distance and everything else, and you're supposed to leave space, and I'm doing all that. But all of a sudden, my seasonal allergies kick in, and I need to sneeze. And so I sneezed the right way. I, I covered myself. I sneezed the right way. And I swear, the guy in front of me turned around and looked like he was ready to shoot me. I think he even reached for a gun, but that's a whole nother point. This is one of those experiences where you say, this is really strange. In addition to that, today we're going to start to get back into our teaching on the book of Galatians. And so would you just bow briefly with me and pray that God would allow us to reconnect with this wonderful book. God, in your grace, would you allow us today to reconnect to the message of Galatians and would you encourage our souls in the midst of these unsettling times? God, would you cause us to deepen our relationship with you through Jesus Christ our Lord, which will be good for us and will be glory for you. I pray in Christ's name, amen. 
Memberships has its privileges. Have you ever heard that? Membership has its privileges. Almost 30 years ago, American Express used that tagline to say why you should become a member and get an American Express credit card. And you may remember some of the commercials. If you, if you don't remember them, you can even go to YouTube. By the way, is everything on YouTube now? I, I think we need to be careful about that. But exotic vacations, multi-course gourmet meals, and my favorite is one of a businessman, and his meeting has gone long in, in one city, and he races to the airport, and he's late, and his flight has been canceled. And he has to get back home for an important meeting there. But he's able to take out his American Express credit card and slap it down on the table, and he's able to get on the next flight out, first class, mind you, only to get home and there at home to be able to have a experience with his daughter dressed up as the cutest daisy ever in her musical. This idea, this idea that the commercials would end with membership has its privileges, and, and the implication was... Of course, certain things are available only to those who have membership in a select group, the ones that have the American Express card. So if you want to get all the rewards, you better have this card. Now, some of you know where I'm going, or you think you might know where I'm going with this. You know, some of you and I and realizing that there are groups, there's churches, there's religions, there's organizations that say you must become a member And when you become a member, you have privileges. If you want to go to heaven and avoid hell, we've got what you need because membership has its privileges. Well, I want to tell you that's not the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that's not the message of Galatians. The message is not expressed in the book of Galatians that membership into the body of Christ can be earned or can be deserved apart from God's gracious ability to forgive man and man's need to place their faith in Christ and his redemptive work. For it's not membership that has its privileges in the body of Christ. It's relationship that has its privileges. It's the changed relationship we can experience with God through Jesus Christ. That's what has its privileges. Earlier, now it seems like years ago, When we were teaching in Galatians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says this, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, since by works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Do you hear that relationship by faith? In another passage in the book of Ephesians to a different church, Paul stresses the point that this relationship has its privileges, and he writes this in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. He said, He, God, predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Do you hear that relationship language there? It's interesting as I read that, predestined to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the kind intention of the Father's will, 
to the praise and glory of his grace, freely bestowed on all who believe. As we head back into the book of Galatians, the message of Christ that expressed here is that Jesus is the righteousness of God for us. A little bit of review is in order because it's been a while. So I want to take you and talk with you a little bit about what we've already seen in the book of Galatians. Galatians is one of the, the 13 Pauline epistles, that at, nine of which are written to churches. But Galatians is unique in that it's the only one that, that is written to a number of churches in one geographical area, Galatia. And then in addition to these nine, there are four personal and pastoral epistles. First and second, Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. In Galatians, we see a common Pauline pattern. And in this pattern, as he writes to these churches, it often involves him teaching first doctrine, telling us theological truth about the Lord, and then later focusing on the believer's duty, how we should now be living in light of that doctrine that he's expressed. In the first two chapters, Paul vindicated his apostleship and his message. In these two chapters, Paul demonstrated convincingly that his apostleship and his message came by direct revelation from the risen Christ. Then in chapters 3 and 4, Paul contends for the true doctrine of grace, the doctrine of justification by faith alone in Christ alone. Some would immediately claim that such a doctrine leads to license, a, a cavalier attitude, that our actions don't matter now that we have a relationship and that we have standing in Christ. Thus, chapters 5 and 6, which we'll be heading into, will show that Christians must learn to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. A spirit-controlled walk will not manifest the works of the flesh, but instead it will manifest the fruit of the Spirit. This practical epistle that we're looking at right now, it's full of application for the believer in their life. Galatians also stands as a powerful argument against the Judaizers in their teaching of legalism. They taught a number of Old Testament ceremonial practices were, were still binding on the church. And Paul writes to refute this, this false gospel of works. And he demonstrates this, this superiority of justification by faith and sanctification by the Holy Spirit versus works of the law. God's gracious forgiveness Provision of forgiveness, peace, adoption, eternal life. All of this is based on a faith relationship with Jesus. And it's that relationship that gives us the privileged standing. This leads to a question. You ready for a question? Most of you, are you ready? All right. Focus in on this. The question I want to ask you is, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. How's your relationship? Now, I know for some of you listening in, you might be new to this. You might have asked and wondered, um, what what is this all about, a personal relationship? But a personal relationship is placing our faith, our trust in Jesus Christ and all that he did, his sinless life, his atoning death, his powerful resurrection that proves that God accepted the payment and his offer of life everlasting to us as believers. 
You, you know, this isn't something you have to wait for till we can come back together as a church. As a matter of fact, if you're watching online, you can do this right from your home. But right now, I want you to think about Christ and establishing a relationship with him. In 1 John 1, 9, it states, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If God has been moving in your heart in these last weeks, would you come into a saving personal relationship through faith in Christ's work? And you can join me now in a simple prayer. So would you bow your your heads? Would you soften your hearts? And would you pray with me if God is stirring your heart? God, I confess that I'm a sinner. And I ask for your forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ. I ask for your gracious granting of a peace that passes all understanding. And the the beloved relationship and privileges of adoption as a son or a daughter. Thank you for hearing my prayer and knowing that my heart has turned to you. Amen. As Roger said earlier in the prayer, in the last few weeks, we've had a number of people that have expressed that they've come to faith in Jesus Christ. And, and we have something for you. We want to connect with you. We want to follow up with you and just help seal that relationship, help seal the deal, as it were. And if you would write to us here at waysidechapel.org, we would love to interact with you. We'll send you out a packet that, in, that is encouraging to you and that helps you start that trip of the relationship now being with Jesus Christ personally for you. But many of you, maybe most of you that are listening to this message, you've received Christ's free gift of eternal life. I have a question for you and a question for me. How are you growing in your relationship with the Lord? During this time of social distancing and this time when many of our schedules have been turned upside down, have you been growing closer to the Lord? Or have you been distancing from God Almighty? Have you been spending time with the Lord and there receiving and growing closer to the Prince of Peace? And you do this by reading the Word of God and praying through the mediation of the Son of God and praising Him in worship through the Spirit of God. You know, one of the things I've found for myself, and this is just a personal note, maybe it's true for you too, is over the course of the last weeks, when I spend too much time watching the news, I just get anxious, and I become discouraged, and I find myself even wondering, okay, when is this ever going to end, and what do we need to do, and how will this come about? But when I find myself spending time with the Lord, reading his word, praying, I don't feel anxious. I feel encouraged. So for all listening today, there's a question. How's your relationship with Jesus Christ? Even you, Christian, how's your relationship? The passage we're going to be focusing on today is the pivot point in Paul's epistle from the doctrine of duty to the focus on freedom. It's one masterful stroke. The apostle Paul turns to a spiritual 
scriptural illustration to conclude his theological defense of justification, right standing before God through faith. An Old Testament story from the life of Abraham enables Paul to review what he had already declared about the contrast between the Mosaic law and grace, between works salvation and a faith relationship. Now remember, immediately before the passage we're talking about now, Paul says he's perplexed. He says that I claim to be laboring among you, helping birth followers of Jesus Christ through faith, but they should be reveling in their position. And he's also said this previously, therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now the faith has come and we are no longer under the tutor, the law, for you are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. That leads us into this passage. Would you follow along as I read this passage, Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 to 31. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bound bond woman. I knew I could get that. One by the bound bond woman and one by the free. The son by the bond woman is born according to the flesh and the son by the free woman is born through the promise. This is allegorically speaking for these women are two covenants one proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are of to be slaves. She is Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and it corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem from above is free. She is not, she is our mother For it is written, Rejoice, O barren woman who does not bear fruit. Break forth and shout, you who were not in labor. For more numerous are your children than of the desolate, than the ones who had a husband. And continuing on in verse 28. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. You're children of promise. But as at the time when he was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So it's now written. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of the free woman. And then leading into next week's passage in this next section of scripture, We're children of the free woman, for it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm in that freedom and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. You know, Paul here is using a familiar story to his audience. And he's talking a little bit about, in the Old Testament, the life of Abraham. But he will see that he uses this illustration in an unusual manner. And even as he does this, it's interesting. There's a whole section of scripture from the end of Genesis chapter 11 to the Genesis chapter 25. It tells the story of Abraham. Now, we don't have enough time to dig into that deeply, but at the same time, we should know some of the facts. 
And the story of Abraham is mainly this. Abraham was a prosperous pagan businessman in Ur of the Chaldees. When God appeared to him and said, take your wife Sarah, leave that land, and go to a land that God would later show to him. God also promised to give him descendants who would become a great nation. And so that is all well and good. But at the time that God gave these promises to Abraham, Abraham was 75 and Sarah, his wife, was 65. Do you see a problem? They had no children. And in the course of time when they arrived in Canaan, the land God had promised them, time passed, 10 years, and still no son. Abraham now 85, Sarah now 75. And since the biological clock was ticking, Sarah suggested to Abraham marry Sarah, her handmaid, an Egyptian maidservant. And after some hesitation, Abraham agreed, and in due course, Hagar became pregnant, and a son named Ishmael was born. It should be noted that Sarah's motives, on, on the one hand, seemed to be noble. She's concluding that, hey, since I'm now 75, there's no way I will ever be able to have a baby. And that seems like a perfectly reasonable human understanding and a conclusion. So she and Abraham decided to take matters into their own hands and help God out. But of course, God doesn't need our help. And, whatever we, and whenever we try to help God, instead of waiting for God to reveal his plan in his own way and in his own time, things will get worse, not better. This reminds me of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 that instructs those who want to be wise to do this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. This plan to help out God had a bad ending. Genesis chapter 16 talks about the animosity that arose between Sarah and Hagar as Hagar reveled in the possession of the only son of Abraham. And it makes sense, right? You've got two women sharing one man. That's never going to work out right. It reminds me of that famous old song of the Oak Ridge Boys that sang a song saying this, trying to love two women is like a ball and chain. This is not a good, fun, easy thing. This is going to end badly. The second stanza is trying to love two women is tearing me apart and it tears the family apart. And just a practical word of admonition uh, to any of you here. Um, what I have found for 38 years is that if I keep my girlfriend and my wife the same person, that is a good thing. That is a, before she was my wife, she was my girlfriend. And often I'll introduce her as that. My girlfriend of almost 39 years. And then people will say sometimes have a problem committing. And I have to remind them, no, I, I don't. she's my wife of 38 almost years. And that idea that we have relationship, we keep that the same person. So young Ishmael, he grows up in a home that is an unhappy home situation. 14 years pass. Abraham is now 99. And Sarah is 89. And the scripture says his body is as good as dead and her womb is shut tight. 
there's no chance now, none whatsoever, that they will ever have a child together. But at precisely that moment, at precisely this crucial moment, God announces that Sarah will conceive and bear a son within a year. And God revived the body of of Abraham and Sarah. And 12 months later, Isaac was born. As Paul puts it, Ishmael was born the ordinary way of Isaac, the ordinary way, but Isaac was born as a result of God's promise. Ishmael was born of a slave because his mother was a slave. Isaac is born free because his mother was free. I must admit that this passage sounds rather strange to our ears as we first read it. Paul's form of argument seems very Jewish, even rabbinical, and that shouldn't surprise us because that was Paul's training. Paul, as a Jew, studied under a rabbi, Gamaliel, recognized as a Pharisee doctor of Jewish law and one of the premier teachers of the first century A.D., Teaching from A.D. 22 to A.D. 55, this is the same Gamaliel who encouraged his fellow Pharisees to show leniency to the apostles of Jesus in Acts chapter 5, verse 34, saying this, But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and he ordered that the men be put outside for a short period of time. The two apostles are put outside for a short period of time. And Gamaliel then talks to his fellow Pharisees there in the Sanhedrin. And he cautioned them to be very careful. And he summarized it this way. If this movement is of man, it'll come to nothing. But we better be careful because if this movement is of God Almighty, we will come into opposition of God. What wise words from a wise teacher. But in addition to this, so young Ishmael, he's growing up in this unhappy home situation. 14 years, 14 years as he does this. And as I get to this point, Gamaliel, he's not only Paul's teacher, which he does confirm that he is his teacher. This is the same Jewish teacher in Acts chapter 23, 22 verse 3, where Paul says, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Celia and brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel and strictly adhering to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God just as you are today. Now, first century readers hearing this, hearing this argument, they probably would follow him fairly easily, but, but the same style seems rather odd to us. There are parts of this passage that we understand, but there's parts of this passage that seem to make no sense or connect to the story. And most of us know something about Abraham and Sarah. We probably know a little bit about Hagar and Ishmael. And what are we to make of a verse like this? Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she, Hagar, is in slavery with her children. That's Galatians 4.25. You know, I've heard a number of people talk about um, having a life verse, but I've never heard anyone say that Galatians 4.25 is my life verse. You know, that leads to the question, do you, have, do you have a life verse? Do you have a life verse? Is that even a thing anymore? When I first came to faith in Jesus Christ, I was involved in a crew gathering, and there one of the, the speakers, a student speaker, stood up and said, you know, God wants you to have a life verse. 
And then that student proceeded to tell us, and this is how you can find it. You need to spend a time, at least a day, in intense prayer and fasting. And then you need to go into a private room, and you need to take your Bible, and you need to open it with your eyes closed and put your finger down on any verse. And that's your life verse. Now, some of you have already realized this is fraught with trouble. But I decided I'll, I'll do that. I'll, I'll, I'll take my Bible, I'll pray, I'll fast, and I'll ask God for a significant life verse that will mark my life forever. And so there I put my finger down on Genesis chapter 27, verse 11. Can I read that for you? Genesis 27, 11 says this. Jacob answered his mother, Rebekah, Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. What a life verse. I mean, can you imagine? It's not even true. I'm hairy. I, I, my brothers are hairy. We come from hairy fa- families and fathers. I mean, I read that, and I'm like, okay, what's God trying to tell me? A few years after this, I thought, no, this isn't my life verse. My life verse needs to be something that I select, that I prayerfully say I want to apply to my life. And the life verse that I selected was actually two verses, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall make your path straight. We can summarize this passage in, in a very simple way, that there are two lines, one from one man, both from Abraham. Two lines came forth. The one line is a line of works and self-effort. The other line is the line of faith. Though both have Abraham as their father, the line of works and self-effort, that's Hagar, the bondwoman. And the line of faith is Sarah, the free woman. Ishmael is born according to the flesh, the natural way. But Isaac is born through the promise of God, the spiritual way. This promise is given in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 4, where it reads, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and so shall you be a blessing to others. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse And in you, all the families of earth will be blessed. So Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. Now Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. By the way, this promise has never been revoked. This promise of God blessing those who bless the children of Abraham and cursing those who curse him. As a matter of fact, in just a few chapters... Abraham will receive a covenant vow from God Almighty, a promise sealed in Genesis 15, verses 5 and 6. Now, he, God, took him, Abraham, outside and said, look towards the heavens. Look up at the heavens. And he said, count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Then he, Abraham, believed in the Lord, and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. 
You know, 20 years ago, I had the joy of traveling to um, the Ukraine and teaching a group of pastors in the far southeastern portion of the Ukraine, one that has become troubled um, even with Russian involvement there. I went to Lugansk and Severodonetsk. And one of the things that impressed you about Ukraine is what, it's, a, it's a lot bigger country than I thought. We traveled on a train for almost 20 hours to get down to our first site. But one of the things I realized this 20 years ago, much of rural Ukraine was still without electricity or spotty electricity. And as we would go and teach into the night, sometimes our electricity would go off. And at one of those times, the pastors, one of the, the Ukrainian pastors said, Brother Walt, would you teach us a buckaroo song? And I said to him, a buckaroo song? And he says, yes, you're from Texas. You're all buckaroos, like a cowboy song. Now, I'm not from Texas. I've lived here now over 15 years. But I remembered that my children had been learning in, in music class a song. And it came to mind. And there in this darkened room, out on the porch, looking up at the stars of the heaven with very little other ambient light around, I started to sing this song. The stars at night are big and bright. Deep in the heart of Texas reminds me of the one I love. I hear you clapping at home. I like it. I like it. Deep in the heart of Texas, the prairie sky is wide and high. Deep in the heart of Texas, the sage in bloom is sweet perfume. Deep in the heart of Texas. And as I sang that song and as we talked about this, the, the vision of stars for Abraham must have been almost overwhelming. Because not only has God given him a promise, now he's given him a, co a covenant. And right up to this point, we can track along with Paul's telling of the story. But in verse 24, the one we talked about earlier, Paul singles a shift by saying he's about to speak allegorically. Do you know what an allegory is? It's a figure of speech in which abstract ideas and principles are described in terms of characters, figures, and events. The objective of this allegory is to teach some kind of a moral lesson. And some of you, when you think about allegory, you think about John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress as an example of a spiritual allegory. The ordinary sinner, Christian, leaves the city of destruction and travels toward the celestial city where God revives and there for his salvation. He finds faithful, a companion, who helps him on his way to the city. And on many instances, many characters, including hypocrisy, Apollyon, Mr. Worldly Wise Man, obstinate and pliable, try to discourage or stop him from achieving his aim. He finally reaches the celestial city and he's carried there by hopeful's faithfulness. And the more learned through this allegory is that the road to heaven is not easy and it's full of obstacles. Man is full of sin, but this does not stop us from achieving the glory by means of hopefulness, faith. Paul shifts his teaching to allegory, which, which would be abstract ideas and principles in terms of characters, figures, and events. And he pivots from the Abrahamic story and gives additional meaning behind the story. 
And in this meaning, he's contrasting two things, Mount Sinai and Mount Zion, and two covenants, the Mosaic covenant and the Abrahamic covenant. The law of Moses contrasted with the promise of grace and blessing to Abraham. And if you have seen these places, you know that they're very different. This is a picture of Mount Sinai. Barren, bleak, harsh. Now, the question is, is if that's equated with Hagar and Ishmael, is that where you want to go and spend a bunch of your time? No, instead, we're of the promise. And we're not Mount Sinai, but we're Mount Zion in Jerusalem. The following is a picture of Jerusalem in the, in the early morning, and it, it, um, it just oozes that, that delight of the, the Garden of Gethsemane and the Mount of Olives. But my favorite picture of Jerusalem is this one. It's a picture of Jerusalem at night. And the stars aren't big and bright now because instead of stars, we have lightning. It reminds me of the scripture that talks about just as I, lightning starts in the east and goes to the west, someday that in a similar way, shooting across this place will come the Lord Jesus Christ on his second return to earth. These two pictures should illustrate the contrast between law and grace, between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion, where where God will shed his own blood in his son, Jesus Christ, for your salvation and for mine. So now the works of law and self and the line of faith look like this. One is Mount Sinai and the other is Jerusalem and Mount Zion. One is the law of Moses and the other is the gospel of grace. One is this present earthly Jerusalem and it involves bondage to the bondwoman. And the other is the Jerusalem above which is free as spoken of in verse 26 of this passage. By the way, if you are feeling discouraged at all this week, can I make a suggestion? Read Revelation 21. It talks about this Jerusalem from above that comes down and God dwelling with man and all the changes that will occur. And it's summarized in this thought from the book of Acts. Then times of refreshing will come from the hand of the Lord and there will be the restoration of all things. The allegory leads to a conclusion and the conclusion is found in chapter 4, verses 31, into chapter 5, verse 1. So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of the free woman. For it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm, and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. By the way, I find it interesting that this conclusion does not focus on Father Abraham, as a good Jew would expect, but on the free woman, Do you want to be a free child of God's grace? Or do you want to be a servant, a slave in the yoke of the law? That's the contrast that Paul is pointing through this allegory. This idea of do you want to be bound and harsh and barren with bleak possibilities coming forward? Or do you want to have relationship which leads to privilege and everlasting life? Uh, We have now, um, my wife and I, have now become firmly implanted in a stage of life that's known as grandparents. And um, this is a delightful stage to us, me especially, because um, I was born late in life, both parents 40 years old, 
And, and because of that, um, my grandparents, I never got to know them. They were all, had all passed before I got there. So, so I would watch other people with the grandparents, and I'd say, oh, what would it be like to be, have a grandparent? And now I get to be one. Um, our first grandchild is Riley. She's 12 years old. She is a delightful girl with one character flaw that we've observed. And since Riley is going to watch this, this is true, Riley. You know it's true. We've seen this. Your character flaw is your intense desire in every game to beat me, to beat Pa. I mean, we're just having fun, right? And you know most of the times when you beat me, which she does most of the time, most of the time when you beat me, of course, I let you win. And if you know me, you know that that's not possible either. Closely following after Riley are six boy cousins, ages 10 to 2, with a seventh one on the way right now. Their names are Levi, Jacob, Walter Graves, or we call him Gravy, Jeremiah, Daniel, Solomon. You do know that for over 14 years I was an Old Testament professor. It rubbed off on the kids. The one outlier is Walter Graves, who goes by the name Gravy. I'm I'm honored that... um, my son and daughter-in-law, Jonathan, Leslie, that they would honor me with that. But he never hears his name, Walter Graves, unless he's in trouble. Walter Graves, go into the office and wait for your punishment. And so he's associating that name, Walter, with punishment. It, It really troubles me, and I've had this discussion with my kids. But every time it was announced, seven times in a row, that a boy was on the way or a boy had come, Riley is gleeful because she wants to be Pa and Grammy's only princess. That's relationship. That is relationship that has privilege and standing. Christ's redemptive work gains us relationship, adopted into God's family, of believers, for it's a relationship that has its privileges. The core truth of this passage revolves around freedom. Six times a form of the word free is used in this passage. And Paul summarizes this with one key reason. Christ came to this world to set us free. To set us free from our bondage to sin. To set us free from the guilt that resides inside of all of us who have not been set free. And to ultimately set us free from the penalty of sin, free to be children of a promise. And because of that, we have a relationship now with God which will last eternally. That's a good message on a troubling week, in a troubling month, and in a troubled world. A good message that there's a contrast between law and grace between bondage and freedom. Beloved, have you chosen that free path and are you growing in your relationship with God? Would you pray with me as we conclude? Father God, I thank you for this wonderful passage and I thank you for what it teaches us. This pivot point between the doctrine of justification by God's gracious gift of forgiveness and everlasting life in Christ Jesus, that we adopt that, that we Um, Take that for ourselves by faith. 
that that is available to us. Not only is it available, it is what we long for. It is what we need. So, Father, I ask you that you would stir our hearts that we might even be more fully devoted followers of you. Lord, take our attention, take our affection, and seal them for your own. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless, with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion and authority before all time, now and forevermore. Amen. Thanks, beloved. Go and serve the Lord this week, and we look forward to, to meeting with you again next week virtually.